God's Word to Revelation chapter 14 as we return to our study here in the book of Revelation. And uh, while you're turning to Revelation 14, I wonder how many of you are familiar with Romanian pastor Richard Wormbrand. Now, I know that at least some of us here will know of Richard and this ministry of faithful ministry of of Pastor Wormbrand, but it was during World War II that he was captured by the communist government in Russia, where he was imprisoned for his faith in Christ and where he greatly suffered during this time. Uh, but uh, he records for us what happened to him in his classic work, Tortured for Christ. thought it would be helpful for us to listen this morning to his own words as he described what happened in prison. So Wormrand writes, It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching, they were happy beating us, so everyone was happy. Now, where does such happiness come from? And how can we remain faithful as we suffer in this world? Well, these are the questions that are answered for us here in Revelation chapter 14. So let's read them together. Revelation 14, verses 1 to 13. Hear from God's Word this morning. Here we read from the Apostle John. He says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. 
and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Brothers and sisters, before we continue, let us once more come before the throne of God in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray that you'll be with us this morning as we are ready to hear your word. Oh, Lord, may you so work through your Holy Spirit among us that our minds will be renewed, that our hearts will be revived, and that our lives will be transformed by Christ and by His grace and the encouragement then that we receive to endure through this word from Scripture. So Lord, may You speak to us this morning as Your word is preached. That your word will powerfully be at work among us this morning. So that souls will be saved. And so that saints will be edified and encouraged. Father, we pray all these things then in the name of our glorious Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what God reveals to us then this morning from His Word is that we must persevere through persecution. We must persevere through persecution. And we can persevere through this persecution to come by remembering three truths. First, our security of salvation, which is seen in verses 1 to 5. Second, our warning of wrath, which is seen in verses 6 to 11. And then finally, our receiving of rest in verses 12 and 13. So our security of salvation, our warning of wrath, and our receiving of rest. Let's begin then with this first encouragement from God's Word in our security of salvation. Verses 1 to 5 of course, here in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John has received these symbolic visions of prophecy from God in this book so that Christ's churches will be encouraged as we struggle and suffer in this world during this present evil age. But Revelation, in terms of its structure, seems to be structured as a chiasm. We've seen this before, where the center of this book is the central message to Christ's churches, that Christ will triumph over all the kingdoms of this world and reign over his eternal kingdom forever. So we work inward in Revelation through parallel layers 
until we come to the middle of the book in chapter 11, verses 15 and 19, which declares the central message in verse 15, that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So now, as we are working our way back out through these layers, we've seen how chapter 12, verse 1, through chapter 13, verse 10, parallel what took place in chapter 11, verses 1 to 14, both showing that the church through this age lives under persecution. We are currently protected and provided for in our gospel mission. Yet there is an intense period of persecution that will come when the dragon Satan sends a final antichrist beast to oppose Christ's church at the end of this age. But then we move out to the next layer in chapter 13, verses 11 to 18, which then parallels chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. And you may remember back in chapter 10 that the Apostle John is sent by God as a true prophet to prophesy to the nations. Then we come to the other parallel, where in chapter 13, verses 11 to 18, another beast is then sent by Satan as a false prophet to deceive the nations. So with the ending of chapter 12, we have the rise of an unholy trinity of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false beast, the false prophet, who then engage in this final war against Christ's church. But that brings us to this chapter where we move out yet one more layer, where Christ's church in this age is identified and numbered as 144,000, which is then followed by seven bold judgments from God in chapters 15 and 16. And again, this is paralleled back in chapter 7. You remember what happens in chapter 7? The Christ church is identified and numbered as 144,000, which then is followed in chapters 8 and 9 by seven trumpet judgments from God. Are you starting to see how these parallels are at work in the structure of Revelation? But it's after John has recorded the, these these visions of the coming dragon, Satan, and of the coming beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophets. That God then reveals to John in this chapter some gospel encouragement. See, after seeing a beast rise out of the sea and another beast coming up out of the earth, John now sees a lamb who's standing on Mount Zion. And this lamb is Jesus Christ, who has offered himself in love as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. As he sheds his blood on the cross to redeem us to God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's why he is the lamb who offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And this lamb... Jesus Christ is here standing on Mount Zion, which is the holy mountain of God, where God rules over his kingdom and where he dwells with his people. 
Which is why Mount Zion represents heaven throughout the New Testament. So here, as we approach the end of the age, we see how heaven and earth will become one when Christ returns. But the Lamb standing on Mount Zion is not alone, is He? Because we read that 144,000 are with Him. Christ's church is with Jesus because God's chosen people have received His seal and are protected from His judgment of wrath as we serve Him in this world. So they are now gathered to Christ and are standing with Christ in triumph over the kingdoms of this world. See, when we believe in Christ, we are secure in our salvation because His Father becomes our Father by adoption. And we have His name written on our foreheads. Which means that we are His people and under His ownership as His children in this family of faith. There is then this contrast between those who receive the mark of the beast on their foreheads or on their right hands and those who are worshiping the coming Antichrist and belong to him in their selfish and stubborn sinfulness with those with the name of God the Father sealed on their foreheads. Which is when John then hears this voice from heaven, which is described by the noise of roaring waters and the loud peals of thunder. And these are used throughout Revelation to emphasize the triumph of the Lamb and the celebration of His salvation. And then there are also these harps, the, the harpists that sound with the heavenly host that had already used harps in chapter 5, singing a new song, praising Christ for redeeming us to God by His blood. And they again then sing this new song in praise to Christ and celebrating the victory of the redeemed as they triumph over the beast and his satanic kingdom. So once more, they sing this song before God's throne in heaven, which is surrounded by the four living creatures and the 24 elders, all of whom are angels serving God who reigns over this world in His sovereignty. And this heavenly host we see here is singing this song so that those who are redeemed by Christ will learn it. So that we will then join in singing this song. 144,000 symbolizing Christ's church and those saved by His blood will learn to sing this song because of our redemption and salvation in Jesus Christ. Because God has rescued us in Christ from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Which is why no one else can sing this song. No matter whether they claim to believe in God or not. What do we see here is the difference between those who can learn this song and those who do not? That it's only those who have redeemed by Christ and are reconciled by, to God that can sing this song. Because all those who have been redeemed by Christ have become citizens of heaven who can then join in this worship of heaven to celebrate Christ's victory and triumph together 
with our triumph in victory with Him. Then we go on to see here that those who've been saved by the blood of Christ are also sanctified by His blood as we live lives of purity according to God's law. Which means that we're not defiled by our sin as those who commit adultery. But adultery here in Revelation is more than sexual sin because it represents the spiritual adultery of idolatry. When we may claim to belong to the bride of Christ, but we cheat on him through false spirituality or satanic deception. See, true Christians here are described like virgins because we are pure in the righteousness of Christ. This transforms us by his grace to live in this world as we refuse the immorality of the sinful world with all its seductions. Now please hear me, this purity is not sinless perfection, but it is a faithfulness to Christ that manifests itself in our lives during the spiritual war that we are in through this age. And it's those who have faith in Christ that then follow the Lamb wherever He goes, including through the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of this world, even when it means suffering as Christ has suffered, and even as it means dying as Christ has died. We loyally then follow Christ in faith because he has redeemed us from among sinful mankind to be an offering of first fruits to God and to the Lamb. This idea of the first fruits that is brought out here. Now, first fruits usually means the first part of a whole, right? If you go out and you farm, uh, you begin to bring in the first fruits before the fullness of the harvest is complete. But I don't think here this is talking about a special group of Christians that are the first fruits of a larger whole redeemed people of God. But Christ's church itself is the first fruits of a renewed and restored creation. As we see in Romans chapter 8, for example. Which is why we then read in James 1.18 that of God, the Father's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So as his redeemed people, we see that we are those who will be pure in how we live and who will speak the truth as we uphold God's word against the lies of satanic deception, as unpopular, as ridiculed, and as dismissed as God's truth may be in this world. So with Christ as our Lamb, we will respond to the opposition and the deception of this world with faithfulness, not surrendering or succumbing to the hatred or the persecution we will face. Do you see then how it is because we are secure in our salvation that we can persevere through our persecution? Because however Satan may attack us, and however worldly powers may oppose us, 
all of us whom the Father has given to the Son have been numbered by God and sealed with His name. And we will stand with Christ when He returns victorious over the kingdoms of this world. This is our security of salvation. But not only are we shown our security of salvation, we go on in verses 9 to 11 to see our warning of wrath. Our warning of wrath. Because next John sees another angel flying in the midst of heaven. And this angel has the everlasting gospel to preach to those dwelling on the earth. See, this gospel is everlasting because our triune God decreed our election unto salvation in eternity past with all of human history then working out to carry out this plan of salvation in history. So even here, as we read of this time of the end, you see how those dwelling on the earth are given one final opportunity to repent of their sins and believe in Christ as their Savior? Because this gospel message is for every person around the world, which is why the same four descriptions of all peoples that were used in chapter 5 when Christ was praised in song for redeeming a global people of all kinds are repeated here in these verses. So I love how Jim Hamilton writes of this angel's message when he says that this means that the gospel is the everlasting good news for the Muslims in the Arab world, for the Buddhists in Southeast Asia, for the Hindus in India, and for the atheists in Europe, not at America. The gospel applies to them. They don't have some other way to God. The only way they will know God is by faith in Jesus Christ, by believing this everlasting gospel. And so this angel with the everlasting gospel, what does he say with a loud voice for the whole world to hear? Fear God and give glory to Him. He is to be worshipped as our Creator and Lord with reverence and awe. And this is true for all humanity whom He has created in His image. See, all of humanity is to fear God and give glory to Him. We are those whom He has created for this worship, which is why we should believe in Christ and worship God. Because He's given us this time until the hour of His judgment will come at the end of this age, where we will all be held accountable before our lives under Him. So God here is seen as our Creator and Sustainer, who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and springs of water, and He is the one who will bring this world to an end. The coming day of judgment. Which is why a second angel comes, and he follows announcing the fall of Babylon. Now, the city of Babylon takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis 
Chapter 11, when humanity united against God to build a city and make a name for themselves in rebellion against God. God may have stopped them when he judged them and confused their languages and spread them over the face of the earth. We find the city remained. And it came to symbolize the opposition to God and his people through the centuries. It's why the the great empire to oppose God's people Israel in the Old Testament was the Babylonian Empire. We see this expression of Babylon through King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Where Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And you know what happened next. That even as he spoke these words in pride, he heard a voice from heaven announcing God's judgment against him. Well, here too we have Babylon in pride. is condemned. In God's judgment against it. Because here Babylon symbolizes the world's sinful pride in Revelation, which represents mankind's stubborn refusal to submit to God in their sin, and their final effort to oppose and oppress Christ's church through their power. Which is why the Roman Empire in the days of the New Testament is pictured symbolically as Babylon. And here we see that that empire will be revived when the political and the economic and the religious powers of the world will unite at the end of this age to make war against the saints and overcome us. And look at the great the success of this great city, Babylon. That she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. See, the truth is that all of humanity is sinful. Because we love our sin. We live in sin, which is why all nations will one day follow the Antichrist and bring the wrath of God upon them. So through this announcement, Christ Church is warned not to make peace with Babylon. Not to compromise our faith in a desire to make our lives easy in the satanic opposition that we will face. After all, what is the destiny of Babylon? Babylon will fall. This is repeated here for certainty. Babylon will surely fall because this city and its worldly systems will come to an end. So however hard they make life in this world for Christ's church, listen, it's only temporary. Which brings us finally to one more angel, the third angel that comes with a loud voice who condemns all those who worship the Antichrist beast. This angel says that those who worship the Antichrist will come under the judgment of God. You see, giving in to this world's pleasure and its pressure may seem pleasant and painless. And following the Antichrist may even keep you from persecution. But it comes at a horrific cost, doesn't it? 
because this world will one day be divided between those sealed with God's name on their foreheads and those with the mark of the beast on their foreheads with everybody belonging to one or the other. Which means that all those who drink from the wine of Babylon's fornication and immorality will also drink of the wine of God's wrath. And this is why Christians must not join in such worldliness. But you see, Christ's church may come under the wrath of the Antichrist for a limited time. But those who follow and worship the Antichrist in this world will come under the wrath of God forever. Which shows us that in this world there are division between two peoples. Between those who believe in Christ and have redeemed by His blood and those who live in rebellion against God and remain in their sin. And for all those who remain in their sin, the day is coming when God's judgment will come against you. And this angel uses some of the most graphic language in all of Scripture to describe the torment that will be endured under God's wrath. Here we read of God's wrath being poured out full strength in the cup of His indignation to emphasize and intensify God's anger, which will come against sinners in torment. And this torment is with fire and brimstone. Have you ever, have you ever come close to a fire? Maybe gotten burned? What's your immediate reaction? To move away, to get away from it, right? But what happens when you can't get away? Well, there's fire all around you. Well, the burns become more severe. The pain becomes excruciating. And this fire, well, listen, this fire of God's anger and judgment, it never ends. This fire will continue in rage around us forever. For those of us who remain in our sin, which is how hell will be. Oh, may none of us experience such torment as this. And look, there, there are many today who, well, they describe hell as the absence of God's presence. That's not what we find here, is it? Who is present at this torment in, Re in Revelation 14? But the holy angels and the Lamb Himself will witness the carrying out of God's sentence against unrepentant sinners. why there's an emphasis that this torment will never end because the smoke ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night from this torment which means that they are constantly conscious of God's wrath against them now I know that this description of hell 
often makes people uncomfortable, including Christians. It's why there are those today who question and even reject hell as a place of eternal conscious torment. But this is clearly what Scripture teaches. And we are not those who should neglect the warning that is given to us of this wrath. The truth is our hesitation to accept this reveals how little we understand the sinfulness of our sin and how little we understand the holiness of our God. Listen, we are warned of the wrath to come in God's judgment so that we will hear the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. That we will repent of our sins while there is still time. God's wrath is coming against those who love this world and their sins. So you can either believe in the gospel and be saved from the wrath of God because Jesus Christ in love has taken that very wrath upon himself through his death on the cross. Or you will face this everlasting torment in hell for your sin and be damned in the torments of hell. Oh, may none of you here today come under this wrath. Not when the love of Christ is offered to you today. Well, today is a day of repentance. So come to Christ. Believe in Christ and His death on the cross for you so that your sins are forgiven, so that you are ransomed through the blood of Christ, and that you are saved to live free from this judgment of God. Repent. And receive Christ as your Savior, where this wrath will not come against you. But listen, even for those of us who are Christians, this warning is a reminder of how we cannot and must not compromise our faith in a world that remains opposed to God. The wrath of God is coming. May we be those then quick to repent of our failures, of our rationalizations, of our any attempts of compromise in our own walk of Christ. Because we have a much more glorious future in store than what the city of Babylon and its wickedness will face. This then is our warning of wrath. So we begin with seeing our security of salvation and then continue with our warning of wrath. But finally, in verses 12 to 13, we come to our receiving of rest. Because John here repeats 
what he'd said in chapter 13, verse 10, that the saints are to patiently endure and persevere through the satanic opposition that we face and not give up or give in. And then he repeats what is stated back in chapter 12, verse 17, that in this war between Satan and Christ's church, we must keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. See, through the persecution we face in this world, we must keep God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus through the struggles and suffering of life. And this is true even when it means dying as a martyr for your faith in Christ. Which is why John here hears a voice from heaven pronouncing a blessing on those who will die in the Lord. See, our gospel hope is found in waiting for Christ's return. Where all those who are united to Christ by faith in Him will be raised to life to reign with Him then in the age to come. What a glorious future we have to look forward to. This is the blessing to come in Christ which then the Holy Spirit himself confirms in agreement as he adds that those who remain faithful until death will rest from our labors. Now there is a sense in which we're already resting from our labors when we believe in Christ, since we are justified by his work for us. But the Holy Spirit here is promising a rest to come when we have completed the work that God has given us to do in this world, and we can fully enter into the joy of our Master. So there's a contrast in these verses between the eternal destinies of the torment of unbelievers who, in verse 11, we read, have no rest day or night, with the joy of believers who will rest from our labors. And as we rest, our works will follow us because God will reward us for our perseverance and faithfulness in his day of judgment. When Christ's church will finally be vindicated and God's justice will finally arrive. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let us endure to the end when we will receive our rest. And whether this means dying for your faith under persecution or living faithfully until we die, death is not the end for believers. Because we will be blessed in the receiving of rest to enjoy eternal life in God's presence in a new heaven and a new earth. Do you see then how we must persevere through persecution? But God reveals to us then these three motivations for us to persevere. First, in our security of salvation. Second, in our warning of wrath. And third, in our receiving of rest. See, while we're not yet under the coming persecution of the Antichrist, we are now under the current persecutions of this world. 
which manifests itself in different ways at various times around the world. Which is why Richard Wormbrand was tortured for Christ under the communistic regime of Russia. It was because of these truths, these gospel truths, he's able then to persevere through his persecution with happiness and joy. May we then be ready to persevere through whatever persecution we face in this world. As those who are secure in our salvation, as those who hear the warning of God's wrath against this world and of those who look forward to receiving our rest when Christ returns. This is why Wormbrand later wrote, Not all of us are called to die a martyr's death, but all of us are called to have the same spirit of self-sacrifice and love to the very end as these martyrs had. May we then live these lives of self-sacrifice and love. as we will stand with the Lamb as the redeemed people of God. Oh, let us pray. Father, what wonderful words you have revealed to us this morning. Even as they include difficult words, for sinners. Lord, may we look to Christ and in His righteousness through the strength of Your Spirit become pure virgins ready as the bride of Christ to be wedded to Him when He returns. May we not defile ourselves in any kind of immorality as we struggle and suffer in this world. Oh Lord, give us the strength to endure to the end and to persevere through the persecution that we will face in a world that will oppose us until Jesus returns. Father, we pray then for all these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.